Welcome to the Make That Money Honey podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Joe, and each week I will be bringing you a combination of interviews and solo episodes with industry leaders in finance, entrepreneurship, and women in business. As a former certified financial planner turned financial coach and entrepreneur, I will be sharing my knowledge on how to have better conversations about money within your marriage, relationships, and family dynamics. I will also be teaching fundamental financial literacy about all of the topics that you wish you learned in school. This podcast will get you to think outside the box, create more abundance in your life, and improve your money mindset. So make sure to follow and tune in weekly, and it would mean the world to me if you shared these episodes with a friend and left me a five-star review. Hey guys, just a quick disclaimer, as this is a technical episode, the content of this episode and all of my Sandra Joe's social media is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on any of my platforms constitutes as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by myself or any other third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or any other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction. You should always consider your own personal circumstances before making any investments or financial changes. Alrighty, enough with the fun stuff. Let's dive in. Welcome back for another episode of the Make That Money Honey podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of introducing one of my friends and also fellow Vancouverite, Kevin Matheson. Kevin is the founder and CEO of Edge Investments, a media platform focused on growth stocks, disruptive sectors like plant-based nutrition, psychedelic medicine, and cryptocurrency. Kevin shares the principles that he has learned in, since his informative years in institutional finance as an equity analyst for RBC Global Asset Management. In addition to the qualitative approach he utilizes now as a venture capitalist. His team of 14 is constantly evaluating new investments in trending industries and teaching others how to find these hidden gems themselves. You can find him on Instagram at edge.investments or check out his website, edge.investments, for the articles on the companies that he works with. Welcome to the show, Kev. I cannot wait for this interview. I have so many questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. No, happy to be here. This is exciting. First podcast yeah. I've ever done. Oh, well, there you yeah. go. And, and you've got the professional mic and everything. So yeah, yeah. yeah this is, uh, um, I can't wait for this interview because I get so many questions about cryptocurrency, about, you know, psychedelics and, and the mushroom industry, because it's becoming such a buzz topic and such a mm -hmm. trend. So before we get into that, can we just touch on a little bit about you and your experience? Because coming from institutional finance with RBC is the largest bank in Canada for our international listeners. How did you transition from institutional finance into your current role now as a venture capitalist? Yeah, I mean, it was a weird transition because I couldn't be in a more opposite world than what I used to play in, where when I would manage a portfolio, you know, the, the smallest company I think we ever, ever, ever looked at was like a $2 billion valuation. And for a, you know, a fund the size of ours, it was about half, a, it was about $400 billion dollars. Um, my specific part of the fund was about $120 billion. And there was a big team of us, of course. Um, and yeah, $2 billion valuation company was like this tiny little microscopic baby that RBC would never really consider. Whereas the world I'm in now, I mean, I own companies that are publicly traded that have a valuation of like less than $10 million. So like tiny, like nano micro caps. Um, and that's kind of the area I find the most fun. The, the biggest reason I ended up leaving the firm and, and changing kind of career paths is, well, for a few reasons. One, 
I mean, I just got kind of bored of of large companies. You know, they go up two percent, they go down two percent, they go up three percent, down one point five percent. It just gets kind of it's like a rhythm, and it gets you know, frankly, boring after a while. Um, sitting on the sidelines, seeing uh, cryptocurrency and psychedelic medicine and all these like really, really crazy game changing industries kind of burst into existence. Um, it just was so obvious to me that I knew I wanted to be part of it, and felt like I had a pretty good handle on the space enough so that I could at least kind of start dabbling, investing for myself, meeting the CEOs and trying to get an understanding of the industry. Um, and then I've shared all of that kind of journey and experience on my, you know, Instagram being the, the primary outlet. Um, so very happy with where I am now. I can't imagine ever going back. <laughs> it's too, too fun in this, uh, in this world. Um, but still, you know, tons to learn always. Yeah, that's so cool that you went from dealing with huge, huge companies to, as you said, the small cap or, you know, the startup startup space, because I know it can be a huge risk when you're going from steady income, institutional finance, other people having your back in decision making to going into what you do now, which is really taking a punt on these up and coming businesses that are in very unique and new industries. So just on that, what are you, what would you say is like something that really excites you about working with these companies and something that has sort of driven your interest from the start? Well, I mean, there's, I mean, wow, there's a, there's a ton of things. The, the first most obvious thing is that by working with really small companies in disruptive areas, um, you have a real chance to actually be a decision maker or not a direct decision maker because I'm not on the board of directors, but you know, owning a position and having some level of influence, you know, when I call a CEO or I have a suggestion or something, they listen to it. Whereas if I'm a shareholder of Apple, you know, I'm not going to, you can't pick up the phone and call Tim Cook and be like, hey, Tim, I've got a great new idea. Um, <laughs> just wouldn't happen. So having that level of influence and um, even if it's not influence, just that certain amount of communication that you just would never get with a, with a major corporation, right? So that kind of intimate connection with these entrepreneurs is, is really exciting. And that's like kind of the most, you know, enticing part of this for me. Um, the other thing is that you're working in industries that are brand new and like really exciting because a lot of these legacy firms, like you're not going to see a giant pharmaceutical company make a huge move into psychedelic medicine at this stage. I think we're getting a lot closer. There are some very big, you know, multi-billion dollar companies in the space now. Um, but so much as a year ago, two years ago, like there wasn't. So you're working in these like really up and coming industries that large companies won't touch and some pretty exciting stuff. I mean, we're talking about psychedelic medicine that could disrupt a big part of the, you know, depression medication industry, um, you know, even to certain plant-based food companies that are developing proteins uh, that could disrupt, you know, um, animal protein as well. So you're you're really engaging with these CEOs and entrepreneurs in just extremely exciting sectors. Yeah, that's so cool. And I love what you said about really being able to have that personal influence on these companies, because as much as they're good at their craft, their expertise isn't necessarily in capital markets or mm -hmm. fundraising or finding investors for their business to take it from seed phase to the next level. And that's where you come in with your experience. And I know that you are CFA level one as well. So you've got that highly analytical side, but then you also get to dabble in, you know, what, what, what interests you and what are these industries that, that are growing from the ground up. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to some of the companies that you work with, 
I know the plant-based nutrition is a big one. I know that you are on the board with a new company called Plantable. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for a minute because there's we're seeing this huge push, not only in the nutrition side of, of uh, you know, industry, but also in in environmental sustainability and environmental science. And what I heard recently was like, if you want to help the environment, stop eating beef because Mm -hmm. the emissions and the land that it requires and the water and everything like that, you know, shipping all this, it has a huge impact on the environment. So there is being a huge push towards plant-based foods for not only the health benefits, but also for people wanting to have a significant impact from an environmental sustainability perspective. So, Let's talk about that industry as a start, because that's, that's one that I know a lot of people are, are going towards, and you work with some really interesting companies in that space. So maybe you could touch on sort of what you look for in those companies and, and where that industry is moving. Yeah, for sure. So plant-based food. So I guess the first thing I'll say is I, I will admit I'm not a vegan, uh, though many people probably think I am considering how many <laughs> plant-based companies I've invested in and, and work with. Um, my goal is just to eat less meat for so many reasons. Like I think the you know, from the first time I took an environmental studies course back in university, it was, you know, from an environmental standpoint, you know, yes, just like you said, uh, beef has an an absolutely unbelievable amount of emissions. And I saw this billboard once comparing the amount of water used for a like a hamburger um, compared to like a like a veggie burger, for example, and it was something like and don't quote me on this, because I'm definitely getting this wrong. But it's like, a few months worth of showers is like the amount of the difference in water for like a single burger. So it's like staggering the difference in environmental impact. So that's the first thing that caught my attention. Uh, I'm always interested in ESG investing, you know, anything with an environmental or social aspect. um, That's hugely interesting, not just for me, but big institutions are putting a ton of money into the space. So from an environmental standpoint, it's the first thing that attracted uh, me. The second thing was watching the movie Game Changers. Um, you know, so many of us watched it and then all of a sudden from an athletic point of view, you realize that plant-based diets, um, you know, in terms of blood flow and endurance and, and all kinds of things has, can give you a, a substantial advantage. So that was kind of the second thing, the animal, you know, cruelty aspect being the third, um, and in no particular order. So all of those things interested me, you know, I think it was about two, three years ago when I really started moving heavy into the space. I, it was pretty clear that it was coming, even just looking at the new products coming to market, plant-based cheeses taking off, plant-based meats taking off, plant-based milk has been a thing forever. I don't even, like, the, I've been drinking almond milk for my whole life. I don't even really know why. Just one day I just decided as a kid that milk seemed gross and I just made a switch and that was the only reason. But the the industry numbers, it's obvious. The growth is 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 massive. It's far outpacing traditional, you know, animal based products, and that's definitely just going to continue. Especially when you look today, like the talk of the day right now uh, is inflation. Inflation is absolutely out of control. I think it's going to get way worse. And if you look at the in- individual line items on what is seeing the most inflation, I mean, look at pork, chicken, beef. That's that those kind of products are just going to get more and more and more expensive until they become more of a luxury product that not everybody can even eat, even if they want to. So for those reasons, it was pretty clear that I wanted to make some moves into the space. When it comes to what I'm looking for, I mean, there's a, there's a million things that I, I look for in a company, whether it's, you know, management team, um, how, the, how the company has financed in the past, like what, uh, what valuations in the past, who are the shareholders, uh, everything to the fundamentals of the business. Do they have revenue? Is it growing? What are their gross margins like? Things like that. So there's like a criteria that applies to pretty much every company I look at. 
specifically with plant-based foods and really any kind of consumer product business, um, it all comes down to a hit product because something like, you know, cryptocurrency or psychedelic medicine, there's a lot of unknowns and it's really hard to know what is better than what investment is better than the next because everybody has all kinds of great things to say about their new token or initial coin offering, something like that. Um, truth be told, 90% of it is complete BS. And you'll find out years in the future um, that a lot of claims being made are completely impossible and will never come to reality. Consumer packaged goods is great because you can just go buy a product, try it. Does it make sense? Does it work? Is it good? Uh, are other people buying it? When you see it on the shelves, does it stand out? Is the price point in line? So things like that, product businesses are, are totally different. If you, you know, try the product, that's the first, that's the first thing. And there's, you know, one company I've invested in, uh, Blue Heron, it's a, it's a plant-based cheese company. Um, by the time you watch this video, they're actually going to be rebranding. They'll be known as Lumi Foods. They make plant-based cheese. A lot of it's made out of cashew, something I tried years ago. And it was this like cruise ship pump cheese. Uh, and that's what I thought of as cashew cheese, just disgusting. Trying what they're producing is like on another level. They ferment the cheese so it has texture and, and flavor and the, even the scent. Everything is just like mind-bogglingly good. So something like that was obvious. They have really revolutionized their area of the plant-based food space. So I'm an investor in that company. Um, you know, something like Well-Told Health. Uh, they're like a premium supplement brand. Uh, female founded, actually. Maybe somebody you might actually want to chat with. Uh, powerhouse female CEO out of Toronto. Uh, started this company when she basically was looking on the shelves for vitamins and supplements like that and looking at the ingredients. And a lot of them actually don't even list ingredients or they're really hard to understand what they are. You don't really know what you're putting in your body. So for example, a vitamin D, I just found out yesterday, and this is super gross. They actually, I, I, they harvest like the wax from like sheepskin. And that's like, a, that's like traditional vitamin D. So there's all kinds of gross, strange ingredients that go into these things. And she came up with a company that has nothing but pure ingredients. It's listed on the back. It's very like, it's whole foods ingredients. So to me, that's something that makes perfect sense. I'm an investor in that as well. So the hit product is where it really all starts when you're evaluating any kind of consumer product. Yeah, I love that. And I love the research that you've put into like, not only is this going to be a good investment opportunity given the industry that it's in or whatever, but is the actual product a quality product, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. I know when plant-based foods first came out a couple of years ago before it really took off, a lot of them tasted quite frankly, like cardboard or <laughs> yeah. really, or really grainy or, you know, whatever. And in Vancouver, especially, and you would know this because you're from Vancouver, but there are so many restaurants now that are either completely plant-based or have a very mm -hmm. uh, large plant-based portion of their menu. And the food is incredible. Like it tastes just as good as anything else that is uh, a meat product. So mm -hmm. I think there's definitely a lot of, you know, competition in this space now to improve the quality and the taste of the food. So that's, that's really interesting about what you said about the cheeses. Cause that's, you know, one thing that a lot of people can't live without when they do go plant-based is the feta or the brie or whatever else. Right. Yeah. So in terms of plant-based nutrition, do you see any particular trends that we should be aware of from an industry as a whole? Do you see it moving in any particular direction? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. So over, you know, when um, my first investment in this space was the Very Good Food Company a year and a bit ago, around 25 cents per share, which at the time, I think the valuation was about 16 million, ended up running like crazy and becoming like an 
seven, $800 million company. And it's, you know, in, in truth, it's crashed substantially since then. Um, because it just got way out of way beyond what the f- fundamentals were. I mean, that being said, my position as it currently stands is still 700% gain. So I'm okay with that. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with that. It's just the volatility will give you a bit of a heart attack. Um, that was kind of the first iteration of plant-based food companies. As soon as they had that level of success, one, a million other plant-based companies went public, many of them total garbage with products that'll never scale. And they just purely were cashing in on a, a wave. What I'm seeing now is like there's, it's kind of like plant-based 2.0 where your the products, the quality of the products is changing a lot. So, you know, Blue Heron again, Lumi Foods, um, great example. Their, their fermentation process is like highly unique and proprietary and it really differentiates their product and, and results in something that's like, a, it's like the, the Gucci of plant-based cheese. Like it's like really high end. And I think you're going to see those ultra premium products pop up, whether it's yogurt or it's, you know, certain milks or things like that. You're going to see these like really, really premium products coming to market that are like setting the bar for just cuisine in general. The other kind of themes, and okay, it's a bit of a aside because it's technically not plant-based, um, cell-based meat. So sounds really gross. You'll throw up in your mouth when I first say it, but, you know, if you're growing meat in like a Petri dish. Um, it sounds gross, <laughs> but the, the ultimate thing is, well, you can use like a living host, like a cow to, you know, grow meat, which is like a living being that you, you kill and, and eat. You can replicate pretty much the exact same thing or no, the exact same thing in a lab environment. And instead of growing this like living, breathing being to harvest its meat, you can just grow the meat on its own. So it sounds gross, but if you're to take a cut of these two types of meat, you know, down to the the deepest level of their composition, it's the same thing. So if you can just wrap your head around it, you're eating the same thing. What you're putting in your body is is the same. It just doesn't have the cruelty aspect of it. Um, As far as I understand, a lot of these are much more environmentally friendly. They take up less space. Um, They require less water, less inputs. So it's just all in all a way of producing meat, the same end product in a much more sustainable way. People just need to get their heads, wrap their heads around it because it's a, it's a, it sounds unappetizing. So I'd say these kind of premium plant-based products, this cell-based meat, those are two things that are are pretty clear in my mind as, as pretty massive kind of growth areas right now. Wow, cool. I had no idea that you could grow meat in a Petri yeah. dish. That yeah. Definitely learned something today. I mean, yeah. you know, we can grow lab-grown diamonds, which there's been a huge push for, and that sounds a little more appetizing than growing yeah. your hamburger in a Petri dish. But <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's move on from the plant-based because I know we've got some other interesting topics here. So let's touch on the psychedelic space and psilocybin medicine because I was reading one of the articles on your website, edge.investments, about how... Uh, psychedelics are really going to be changing the mental health sector. And for somebody like myself, who, you know, has had mental health issues in the past and, and things like that, this is, this was really interesting to me about more natural ways of treating things like anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, um, and that kind of stuff. So could you touch on some of the up and coming things that we're seeing in that space? Yeah. So psychedelic medicine is really interesting to me. Um, for a lot of reasons, like the key benefit that they kind of tout as why you would do psychedelic therapy is the whole concept is 
you do these therapies a few times and it has lasting impact versus something like an antidepressant that you have to consistently use. Now, pharmaceutical companies love the current model because it requires you to keep paying them all the time, right? So it's this ongoing model of, I mean, how many people do you know? And it's not an actual question, but thinking, you know, in your head that have some kind of, you know, issues with depression and take antidepressants forever, right? I know plenty of people off the top of my head um, you know, even young, healthy, seemingly happy people that you wouldn't really know are, are taking antidepressants for their entire lives and dealing with the consequences of that because there can be a lot of kind of harsh repercussions from taking any kind of pharmaceutical for, for that for an extended period. So, for example, with um, it's actually psilocybin. So mushrooms actually isn't the furthest along. It's actually ketamine is the one that's legal right now. So you can go get ketamine therapy um, for a variety of ailments. Um, but it's, it's a halluc it's a slightly hallucinogenic apparently, uh, I haven't done it myself, so I don't know, but they're having these treatment sessions. Uh, MDMA is kind of the second furthest along. They're using MDMA in traditional therapy for like, for example, like a war vet that has post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, the general idea is like when you have these traumatic in, uh, I was going to say injury, but these traumatic events, a lot of people kind of bury them deep in their brain because they don't want to deal with them. They want to just push them back and push them back and they'll spend years just trying to forget. But those kind of experiences, they don't go away. They're just further and further back in your brain and they're still there and you can still be triggered by them. So when these kind of people with these afflictions will sit down in a, a therapy type setting and start, you know, the idea is to spill your guts and start talking about it, dig into it. A lot of people just can't do that. They're not comfortable um, they're inside of their heads. They're thinking everything um, that they're going to say. They're thinking at first and getting scared and not being willing to share. The thing with something like MDMA, for example, is it completely lets your guard down. Your inhibitions just disappear and you just start spilling. So what therapists are saying is that in like a single like 45-minute hour, two-hour session, they're having like breakthroughs equivalent to like months of traditional therapy. Because people are just like spilling their guts, getting right into the conversation immediately. And they're having this like massive lasting impact. Psilocybin is aiming to do the same kind of thing in for a variety of ailments. You know, there's companies using it for everything from treating alcoholism to depression to uh, eating disorders, like all kinds of things. And all of these kind of psychedelics are... It's kind of like nobody really knows what is going to be the best solution. So there's a lot of people trying a lot of different things, uh, DMT, MDMA, psilocybin, ketamine, you name it. And these companies even now, what the kind of real growth area is, is they're coming up with their own molecules. So psilocybin exists in nature. You can't patent that because nature, nature has that patent that already exists. But you can alter the compound and make something unique. Maybe it has a quicker onset. Maybe it doesn't last as long. Maybe it's more powerful. Maybe it's less powerful. But you, they're making these things in a lab settings, setting and patenting those and rolling those out as therapies. Um, sorry, not currently. But they will be. That's kind of the goal of the future after FDA approval. So that's kind of where the industry stands basically right now. Whoa, that is yeah. so mind-blowing. <laughs> I didn't know that about ketamine and MDMA. And just a disclaimer, we don't recommend that you go out and just start taking MDMA and yeah. <laughs> ketamine trying to trying to have this, you know, enlightening moment yourself. This is yeah. obviously going to be something that will be highly moderated and regulated mm -hmm. once it goes through the FDA process yeah. and all that. So that's really interesting because what I was actually uh, interviewing another lady earlier this week who does NLP therapy, and she talks about how our brain receives information. And in a traumatic event, 
what happens is our subconscious actually holds on to that trauma and our conscious brain is the one that is sitting in those therapy sessions talking about what's coming up for us mm -hmm. but what's happening is our subconscious is actually holding on to a whole different array of information and what these drugs or are essentially doing is opening up your subconscious so that your your conscious brain can tap into it and therefore release it mm -hmm. and so when i heard that i was like wow that is so interesting it's like we receive 11 11 billion bits of information a second and our brain only consciously absorbs 154 mm. bits of information. So tapping into that subconscious to be like, okay, let's open the doors mm. and see what's really hiding in there. Because a lot of people are using things like breath work and alternative therapies now to release traumas from inside their cells, from things like car accidents or PTSD or anything like that. So mm -hmm. I can understand why there's been a big push for this. Uh, so that's really good to know. So thank you for shedding some light on yeah. that. Uh, when it comes to the progress of this being approved or hitting the market, what, what do you think the realistic timeline is that we're looking for to see these kinds of things? Or is it sort of unknown still? Yeah, great question. I mean, anytime you try to predict how fast the government will move on something, it's a losing game. <laughs> <laughs> There's certain steps that have been made. Like, like I said, ketamine, you can go get um, like Johnson & Johnson. They sell a therapy called Spravato. It's like a, a nasal spray of ketamine. Um, that exists right now and you can get prescribed that. Um, I can't remember the exact uses that it's prescribed for off the top of my head. Uh, MDMA, you know, psilocybin, there are clinical trials right now. Like if you go to the website, um, clinical, I think it's just clinicaltrials.gov. You can search, uh, you can do search terms. So you can type in psilocybin or MDMA or ketamine and you can see active trials right now across the world. And there's tons, absolutely tons. So, I mean, in theory, you could go volunteer for one of these to see if you're like a like a candidate, for example. So that's as far as it's come now. Um, the FDA has granted so Compass Pathways. Um, I want to say this might have even been like two years ago or so. Was granted they were given a breakthrough therapy status. Basically, the FDA says it's so their treatment their their um, psilocybin derivative, which is essentially their patented compound, um, is so impactful for treating um, what is it. It's the, it's the area of depression that's, what is it? Oh, it's called treatment-resistant depression. So it's, mm -hmm. if you have depression, you're prescribed a medicine, it still doesn't work. So there's a big subset of people, uh, many, many millions, who suffer from this. Compass Pathways um, solution was so impactful that the FDA granted it breakthrough therapy status, which essentially speeds it along a little bit. Um, when that's going to get rolled out to the masses, I have no clue, and I, I won't even... If you want me just to make a guess, because it is just a guess, I'd say within the next couple of years, I could see there being psilocybin and MDMA treatments available at a wider scale. I think we are getting that close, um, but that is just a wild guess. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I can only imagine, I mean, even, even getting you know, certain products, non, non-drug related products approved in Canada is, can be a, a bit of a stretch. So I can only mm -hmm. imagine things that are like this, breakthrough medicine. Uh, now, the last area that I'd love to touch on, because this is such a buzz industry revolutionizing the world right now, and everybody's watching, let's talk cryptocurrency. What's your take on crypto? And you know, where do you think this is going? Is this a yes, invest or a no, it's a buzz type industry? I mean, to be honest, nothing nothing makes me more angry than than crypto <laughs> for like a few reasons. <laughs> I mean, the first thing I'll say is I'm a huge supporter. So when I left, um, you know, institutional finance years ago, 
uh, one of my kind of final jobs, if you will, at, at the firm is I was helping them launch their cryptocurrency division. So um, essentially, it was the framework for it at the time. And I think, what, what was our project? We we're trying to figure out how, as an asset manager, they could basically help clients buy and sell cryptocurrency. Pretty simple stuff. Um, I quit because it was in hype mode. This was back in whatever it was, 2016, 2017, just in the previous wave of absolute chaos when Bitcoin hit $20,000. Um, I quit to, I actually ended up writing a book on cryptocurrency. Um, I flew around, got paid to speak at events and teach people about it and things like that. And I did that for about a year. Just, it was you know a lot of fun learning. And then everything just crashed and just went, became decimated. Now, I believe in crypto. I truly think it's the future of finance. Having these uh, a decentralized way of moving value around just makes sense because big banks, especially as somebody who's worked there, I can tell you they're extremely archaic, slow, expensive, using um, infrastructure that was built years and years ago, brutally outdated. Some banks are better than others. You know, RBC, for example, is making a huge push to modernize. Even so, these are massive corporations that just aren't that nimble. So decentralized finance where you can move money across uh, well, across the entire world for free and instantly, that's extremely compelling. Whereas it normally takes you know days and can cost hundreds of dollars uh, to do something that can be done instantly and for free with crypto. I mean, come on, that just makes so much sense. What bothers me about crypto is that 95% of the investors out there are not investors. They're pure gamblers. They have no idea what they're putting their money into. They have no idea how to keep their money safe. These exchanges um, are not properly regulated. The crypto industry in general is not regulated like at all. It's the Wild West. It's like what the penny stock market was back in the Wolf of Wall Street days. Like anything goes. You can say anything you want. You can do anything you want. People are getting ripped off and scammed left, right, and center. Naive investors are putting money into coins that are, you know, virtually have zero value behind them other than hype of an influencer. So I think, you know, most of these coins, probably 99% of them are going to go to zero in the long term. I think most of them are completely useless and have no place uh, and no reason to exist. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are going to learn that the really hard way. What I do also think is that the big coins, you know, for example, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the others at near the top there, um, they're going to be around forever. They're too big to fail. They have a fantastic use case and they have an enormous number of users. That's the most important thing when you look at a crypto, in my opinion, at least, is the net network effects. So if you can rewind back to when it was, um, you know, Facebook was the dominant platform and Google, what's called Google Plus came out. Remember, it was pretty exciting, a lot of hype around it. Using the platform was like, oh, this is a great platform and in many ways was superior to Facebook, but it completely flopped. And the reason it completely flopped is because nobody uses it. So you can have the best platform in the world, but if there's nobody else there sharing events, adding friends, uh, you know, posting updates, then what good is a social network? It's the same thing with cryptocurrencies. You could have the best um, blockchain, the best protocol in existence. It could solve real world problems. But if nobody uses it and there's nobody to transact with, it's virtually worthless. So the number one thing that I look for is these network effects. Bitcoin has so, so many users. The Ethereum blockchain, so many users, which makes them extremely valuable. Um, a lot of these newer ones are just scrambling to get users. Uh, a lot of them are even lying about how many they have. There's so many ways you can be fraudulent with these things because of the lack of uh, regulation that, you know, once the hype fades, the strong will survive and the rest are just going to disappear. Um, that's even more true in the NFT world. Yeah. And I'm so glad you touched on that because I have felt the same. 
everybody is talking about, oh, trying to pick the next winner. And it is essentially gambling. Like these people have, they don't, a lot of them don't even know what things like a smart contract are. Mm-hmm. And if you know, or how the blockchain fundamentals from a mechanics point of view works, what, what, are, what, how do they even create them? Right. And so if somebody can't explain what a smart contract is or how a blockchain is created, then they shouldn't be investing in the space because so they that's don't. 99.9% of investors. <laughs> exactly. And so if they don't understand fundamentally, and this is one thing that I talk about with clients, even getting into the regular stock market is if you don't understand what you're investing in, you shouldn't be investing in it yeah. because then you don't know when you should be buying or selling, when there's an opportunity, when it's time to get out, all of these things that it, that traditional, you know, historic finance would have looked at. Mm-hmm. And so day traders, crypto traders, you know, all these scams that are going around out there, it's really putting a unrealistic reality on investing and making investing scary, but also more attainable for the average person. And like you said, a lot of these people are going to lose thousands of thousands of dollars because what can go up that fast can equally go down that fast. And that's one thing that people don't realize is that when they're starting to invest in crypto, everybody's sharing their wins. They're not sharing their losses. They're, they might have, sure, they might have earned $30,000 in 12 hours, but how much money did they have to lose in order to get to that point? Because mm-hmm. you're literally just throwing money at horses. Yeah. And so, you know, but I mean, even horses have a better track record. So yeah, I'm really probably. glad you gave that explanation because I think that that is so hugely important for people who are new to this. And reality is, is that most people are new to this because it's mm-hmm. only been around for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So... Just in wrapping up here, is there any other things, because you specialize in more than just these three industries, I know you also have uh, a keen interest in biotechnology, in some of the other uh, up and coming industries, is there anything else that you would like to share that is a good area to be watching or to be looking at to invest in that you think is is an up and coming uh, trend or market or industry? Yeah, I mean, there's a few. So for example, uh, I could say a few, but if I'm going to choose one, I think space interests me a lot. I just invested in a US, um, a private space company, uh, Phantom Aerospace. It's some of the founders, I think it was Elon Musk's number two guy at SpaceX. Uh, He's leading a company called yeah Phantom Aerospace. So I just invested in a private round for them. that kind of area interests me a lot. And I'll admit, it actually took me a long time to come around. Um, I've been following the space sector for about seven or eight years. Uh, and for the majority of that time, I've been pretty negative on it, kind of thinking it's a waste of money sending sending rockets to space, except for obvious applications like satellite launches and things like that. But the whole concept of going to Mars or going to the moon and um, things like that, I just, it just didn't really connect. There, I'm changing my mind now for a few reasons. Um, one of the biggest being my biggest question mark was, you know, commercialization. Like, how do you make money? How do you make money off space? Space travel is interesting, very un, not environmentally friendly in the least, but still interesting. And I would definitely, I definitely would like to do that someday. Um, but applications like, like I said, satellite launches, like having thousands of micro satellites being launched into space so that you can have these mesh networks that can cover like rural areas in like, I don't know, Africa and everywhere. So imagine if you have a singular uh 
access point to the internet, no matter where you are. You don't have to worry about all these cell phone carriers that are super outdated and expensive. You could have one global plan so that whether you're on the top of Mount Everest uh, or you're in you know, Vancouver, Canada or Las Vegas, you can have access to the exact same uh, communications plan. So that kind of stuff is like a no-brainer to me. Uh, space travel, yeah, interesting as well. There's certain things like, you know, uh, space manufacturing that are quite interesting. Uh, no, without gravity, less weight, less friction, you can actually manufacture things with less, um, it, like less, uh, it's like a less intensive manufacturing process in terms of like inputs used and stuff. So there's lots of interesting applications there. And there's not a whole lot of, not too, too many publicly traded companies in the space. Uh, so that is definitely an area I'm considering. Um, if I had to say one more, pets actually interest me a lot. Um, there's a few private uh, businesses focused on the pet industry that's interesting because, you know, you'll see headlines during lockdown. Uh, everybody bought, bought pets. You know, I think you, you've got a puppy, don't you? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> myself included. <laughs> there you go. So um, the pet industry is absolutely booming. Um, COVID being one kind of launch point for that. Uh, another being, you know, people our age are having families later. Um, life is expensive, you know, people are living longer, so therefore people are having families a little bit later. Pets are kind of filling that immediate void. Um, empty nesters, you know, uh, people that are retired and their kids aren't home, they're getting pets as well. So the pet industry is growing like crazy. Uh, yet there's like, that's an area, there's really very, very few publicly traded companies. Like Chewy is one, but you know, maybe I'd have to stretch myself to think of a few others. Um, that's so that's really interesting to me as well. So I'd say those are two sectors I've got my eyes on. I mean, I could rattle off a whole bunch more, but <laughs> those are the first two that come to mind. Yeah, I could not agree more with the pets thing. I mean, I, I live in a densely populated area in Vancouver. And I swear, every single person on the street has a dog now. And probably not even allowed in their buildings. Yeah. But you know, everybody just has one anyway, because as you said, it's becoming more and more expensive to live that a lot of people are living in one bedroom apartments and don't have the space or can't afford to physically have a child. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a really interesting industry. I didn't even think of that. That's going to be coming up. I was, I actually was having this conversation the other day about what are all these people going to do with their dogs when they start going on vacations again, because there's going to be a huge push for dog boarding or pet boarding or pet care, you know, that kind of thing. So I bet you we'll see a few more businesses. I mean, not probably not publicly listed, but a few more businesses up in that space as well. Oh yeah. So this has been such an incredible interview. Thank you so much for touching on three industries that have been of complete interest to me that I know very little about. That was super informative. Again, for our listeners, you can check out Kevin at uh, on Instagram at edge.investments, or you can check out his website, edge.investments, for all of his technical articles. There is so much good information across all different industries there. So make sure you dive in. He's also on YouTube, I believe. Did you say? We, we have a YouTube channel. We just started yeah. making videos on it. Uh, yeah. So, so out there. Instagram is yeah. the most active. Um, but yeah, I'd like to get more active on YouTube and TikTok as well and start pumping out more, more useful content like this. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully we can have a follow up and hear about your thoughts in a couple of months and see, see if there's anything else that's your, that you're looking at. Yeah. And see if I was right. <laughs> yeah. No, All my right. pleasure. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And like I said, first podcast ever. Um, yeah. yeah Amazing. Well done. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. 
Thanks for listening. And if you love this episode, please share it to your Instagram story and tag me at sandra.m.joe. I would be forever grateful if you left me a five-star review and sent it to a friend so that I can reach as many people as possible. For more information on my financial coaching and how we can work together, check out my website at sandrajoe.com. And until next time, have a great day and go make that money, honey.